listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Top Music Guitar Podcast. Today I've got a real treat, a great friend of mine, someone who has helped me with my teaching, my business, uh, an awesome dude to hang out with and you know, someone who I'd consider an absolute legend and that is Eric Barassa from the Fort Worth Music Academy. Eric, welcome to the Top Music Guitar Podcast. How's it going today? Oh my goodness, Michael, that is uh, very humbling to hear from you because as people are going to find out in this podcast, we've watched our roles kind of like reverse. I've, I've watched you start from nothing and just far surpass me and you're, you're just killing it now. So it's, so it's humbling to, to hear you say such kind words about me. Oh, it's very humbling to hear that from you as well. And to, you know, have you uh, on the podcast here, because uh, I think I first met you um, at an international guitar teachers event or a guitar playing event um, once upon a time. And you know, being very nervous um, and not knowing anyone, you're one of the first people to come up to me full of energy with a big smile, like a big bounding Labrador, just come over, said hello, made me feel welcome. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, started, you know, helping me and getting to know me and, and sh you know, sharing some of the wonderful things you were doing. And it was a real inspiration back then. And um, to, you know, consider myself a great friend of yours and to be on the same level, um, you know, I think is absolutely wonderful. And to be in that same class of, you know, guitar teachers, music school owners is absolutely, you know, humbling for me on my behalf. So yeah, thanks for all those years ago for sort of taking me under your wing and then saying hello and look where we are now. I know, I know. Well, and it's so funny because I remember when I first met you, you were practicing like five hours a day, and, you know, you were very much in guitar and you were just getting started with the teaching. And uh, I remember thinking about you and our mutual friend, Chris Hirsch. I was like, OK, these these are guys I got to watch. Um, and sure enough, I, I knew you were going to be successful. And, uh, and he, here we are. Here we are. Now, I know a fair bit about you, but I don't think all of our listeners do. I know some of you, you, you popped up on Facebook a fair bit and you're in a couple of different guitar groups chiming in here, there and everywhere. So I'm sure some people have seen your name or even heard other interviews with you. But can you give our listeners a brief overview of your story so far with guitar and your journey and transition from a guitar player to a music school owner? Yeah, yeah. So when I was 13 years old, I, I started playing guitar. I wanted to be a comic book artist right? That was my thing. I loved to, to draw. And then I discovered the guitar and I, I quit drawing. Um, I've, I've kind of recently started getting back into it. That was really my first love. But as soon as I started playing guitar, I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a guitar player for, for a living. Um, and so when it was time to go to college, I just assumed I was supposed to go to college. That was the expectation my parents set for me. And so I was like, well, I want to be a rock star, but I have to go to college, so I may as well study music. So that was my first mistake. I should not have gone to, I should have moved to LA and lived in the streets. That's what I should have done. But 
uh, I got my degree in classical guitar, um, much to the, the disappointment of my parents who wanted me to get a degree first in music education. And I was like, no. And they said, well, at least get a degree in business. And I was like, no way. So I got my degree in classical guitar performance. And what do you do with that? Pretty much nothing, unless you're going to grad school. And fast forward to today, and now I am running a music teaching business and doing exactly what my parents wanted me to do. That's that's really interesting. And I had a similar experience. Um, my parents were obviously really, really supportive of me going and doing a performance degree. Um, but for me, it was like, yeah, I went out and did this performance degree, and now I don't use it in any way, shape, or form. And I shouldn't... Um, uh, say it was a waste of time or anything like that, because there's obviously a lot of uh, advantages in terms of the theory that I know and the experiences I got and the, the people that I met were all really, really valuable. But it's probably something that hasn't really given or had much of any effect on the business side of things in terms of, you know, I wish I had gone back and done a business one or, or something slightly different. But do, do you have similar thoughts? Would you, if you had the time machine, what would you do? <laughs> yeah, because I, I think I have a similar outlook, which is that I love... Uh, like, I mean, the, the, some of the best friends I, I've ever met were during that time period when I was at college and I wouldn't trade them for the world. And then um, also, I just loved how how much music I was able to absorb and learn and like music theory. I know j just like you, I, I have a pretty high knowledge of, of music theory. And, uh, you know, students will say they're like, oh, that's so cool. You could teach anything. And I'm like, yeah, but. I get to use that level, like with one out of a hundred students, um, you know, maybe once every five years or, or something. So really minimal impact on the business. But I do like just knowing that anyone who walks through the music school, we, if, if one of the other teachers isn't at a level that they can, they can teach at a very, very high level. I know that I can, even though we typically don't, don't need it. So yeah, I, I think I feel the same way about my college experience. Yeah. It's, um, and for people who are you're sort of in a similar path to you, where they're feeling pressure to go and study at university just for the sake of having a degree, whether that's teaching or performing, do you have any tips or advice that you'd share on that front? Well, it's it's like I, I tell my kids. I mean, the, the statistics show that if you have a college degree, you're more likely to make more money. I mean, that just people say, like, well, what about Bill Gates? What about Steve Jobs? I'm like, OK, well, are you a Bill Gates? You know, do you have if you don't have a very clear vision for what you want to do, then, yes, you need to go to college. But if you know what you want to do from an early age, by golly, follow your gut. I, I would say looking back on my life, like I knew what I wanted to do and I denied that to myself. You know what I mean? Because I felt like I needed to follow these conventions. And so if there's somebody who's like in high school, it's like, I feel, I feel like I got to go to college because I have to. But what I really want to do is that. And the, I don't think the college degree is going to help me with that. It, but if you're going to do that thing that you know you're you're meant to do, you better commit and go all out because nobody's nobody's going to help. People will help you as you're, you know, finding your path. But it's not like college where when you go to college, you have a clear path. You you have to make your own way. So you have to be ready for that if, if you're going to follow your gut. Yeah, that's it. I think you put that in, in such a great, uh, <laughs> I'm lost for the actual words to say here, but you just uh, professed and exclaimed that point so clearly is if you know what you want to do, 
go and take that path. And if that means um, dropping out of college and making your own business or performing, uh, pursuing a performance career, then definitely go for it. But if it is a corporate job or something that does need that college degree, university degree, then you know that's the path you have to take. And there's no right or wrong path. It's just about finding out the best path to get you where you need to go. And for some people, that's college. For some people, that's their business. And someone like Bill Gates or Steve Jobs, uh, as you pointed out, like they're just going to be wasted potential in a college format. But how many people have the work ethic and vision and executional powers of those guys? So, you know, we can't put them up on a pedestal of <laughs> reasons not to uh, to go to college. You just got to find out what is the best path for you. Yeah, exactly. And like my my kid, my uh, my youngest daughter, she's like, Daddy, I want to be a, a professional gymnast. And so we've got her in gymnastics classes and stuff. And I'm like, look, the reality is, though, you you need to, we if, if we're serious about this, you probably need to start homeschooling so that you can devote, you know, five, six, seven hours a day to gymnastics. And my wife's like, we're not we're not doing that. And I'm like, well, then this is not happening. And so I want to encourage my kids to follow their dreams, but they also need to know what it's going to take for to, to achieve those things. 100%. I think that's a you know a point worth diving into and exploring more partly from a, par- a parenting uh conversation but also a, a, a you know a goal setting and achievement based thing is so many people underestimate what you need to do to get to a certain level and if your goal is to be a professional performer or the best teacher or a gymnast um there's obviously sacrifices you have to make along the way. And again, if you go back to Bill Gates as an example or Warren Buffett, they both write, you know, what is the key to their success? Uh, and they say it's focus. So, um, and we're doing, you know, similar considerations with our kids who are both um, very musically talented and artistically talented and, you know, going, well, do we put them through a university pathway where they're just doing a degree for the sake of it, or do we double down and, and nurture their creative talents at this age of 15, 16, so that by the time they're 18, when everyone else is going to college to study music, they're out there doing it. And uh, as you said with your daughter, if she wants to be a professional gymnast, like that needs to start right now where she is and not be something they wait until they're 18 to decide what they want to do, because by then there's so many opportunities they've missed and they're already behind the eight ball. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And f- focus, I think, is a really good point, because as I've been sort of analyzing why my my business has ha- had for several years somewhat stagnated, it, it was a lack of focus. I lost that that sense of focus. Um, and in fact, recently I had so <laughs> just a small tangent when I wanted to become a um, one thing that made me a much better guitar player was when I became a guitar teacher, right? And I'm sure you you have a similar experience with that. Um, and so when I when you first met me, I was I was significantly overweight, and um, so I, I had kind of the same logic. I thought, okay, if I want to get in shape, I should become a personal trainer because what would motivate me more? And so that's what I did. I became a personal trainer and we had a, a business mentor at the, at the time who um, one of the great things he imparted to me and I didn't listen to him was he said, don't do this. It's going to distract you from what you need to do. Um, so in hindsight, I'm glad that I did it because it did motivate me to get in shape and get my, my eating under control and, and working out. And I got healthy again, but at the same point, time, it's served as a distraction from the main thing for me. And I've lacked focus. And even though I'm not doing it that many hours a week, 
I finally, I just told the, the owner at, um, at my gym, uh, this morning, I said, August has to be our last month. I said, I, I, I cannot do this anymore. I have to, I have to focus. I'm spread to, I'm, I'm being pulled in too many different directions. And this is one clear thing I need to stop doing. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up the thing about focus. Oh, focus is absolutely amazingly powerful. And it's, again, something I've reflected um, in my own business. You can sort of see whenever we're going gangbusters is I'm focusing on the business. And whenever um, there's a slump or something, it's because I've distracted myself either with like a, a new program to do or a new venture, or sometimes it is health and fitness. And again, you only have so many hours in a day um, to, to work on things. But for me, it's just like, okay, well, at the end of the day, what is the top priority? And getting my guitar school, my Melbourne Guitar Academy, you know, um, nurtured properly and treating it just like another child. Ultimately, that is what provides for everything else. And I guess it's almost like the entrepreneurial core uh, curse is you're always having great ideas. You're always coming up with new, exciting things to do. You're always trying to get that 1% better. And law of diminished returns, as you get to higher and higher levels, there's less and less impact that you can have, but you are still seeking the same kind of uh improvement or self-development so you have to start branching out into other areas to try and uh, you know get that same kind of hit or feed your addiction but if you can try and silence that and just sit down and go okay well while it might not be as interesting or exciting if i can just keep feeding into my business and keep on growing it that ultimately is what gonna is gonna provide for everything else Yes, dude, you hit the nail on the head. You're you're right. That that high of that that like that quick growth, you know, because I I got to to six figures pretty quickly with the help of our our first business mentor. Um and I was just like this is so easy. I'm a natural. I'm great at this. And then of course I remember him saying, you know, what got you to six figures is not what's going to get you to the multiple sixes and beyond. And I was just kind of like, ah, I just keep doing what I'm doing. And the reality is I didn't work that hard to get to six figures. And and figuring out how to shift my focus now, because my natural inclination is to just hang out with people, to to teach people and, and have fun with them. And that was a big reason why my business was able to, to kind of get going. But like, that is not what gets a business to those next levels. You have to dig in and do the boring, the nuts and the bolts stuff and the delegation and ah, all this stuff I don't want to do. And so I distracted myself by kind of when, when I started personal training, I started signing up a few clients and it was that same high of like, look at this, I'm starting a new, a new business. And really what it was, was a distraction from what I needed to be doing, which was working on my music school and, and nurturing this. And I just, I didn't want to do that because it wasn't the, the excitement of the work that had to be done. What was no longer there. Oh, 100%. I really like the fact you brought up the excitement part of it. And I was listening to another, uh, either a podcast or a YouTube, uh, flick with uh, a guy called Alex Hormozzi, which is, he's just kind of exploded in popularity. Dude, recently. I, I love him. I, okay. So just, just real quick, I've kind of like gotten out of like following gurus and, and stuff. Like I kind of got burned out on it, but I stop and I listen to everything he says. I really like him. 
Oh, he's totally awesome. And, and I agree with you. It's like a, you get a bit over all these gurus. Once, you, once you're aware of the game and, and how it's played, you, you know, you sort of <laughs> then take a backseat out of it. Um, that's, I think that's part of the entrepreneurial maturity as well, or your maturity as a business owner is early on, you know, all these mentors and programs have really great things to offer you. And you can really change your life relatively quickly when you start taking on board some great advice from people who've done it. But again, then you just start chasing that same kind of high and going from program to program, looking for someone who's going to give you that same kind of thing. And, and, and yeah, it's probably similar experience where going, you know, I'm probably doing just as good, if not better than some of these uh, low and mid tier gurus, obviously not like your Grant Cardones and Gary V's who are <laughs> still like doing the hundreds of millions, if not billions at this point. But yeah, Alex is just so down to earth and um, got some great advice and great tips. And he was just saying, oh yeah, like what helped me go from this to 40 million in a single year was I just sat down and I did the work and I didn't like what I had to do. I didn't like having to process like <laughs> 40 million forms or, or make like 60 phone calls, but that's what I had to do. And then I think back how I went from uh, zero to six and then six to multi-six was just doing the work and then getting addicted to the process of growing the business. And yeah, I, I sort of watched that video maybe two, three months ago and like, We'd just opened a new location and I'd also launched the six-figure program. So that was taking about 30 hours a week uh, for about nine weeks in a row to, to make all that. And then as soon as that was done, I kind of like, you know, when the universe just lines everything up at the same point of time, I just like discovered Alex Hormozy on the end of that. Um, the business, uh, the course had just concluded and I had all this extra time and I just went bang, sync that into growing my business. And then the location, it kind of went from zero to 50,000 in the first three or four months, then 50 to 100 in the last two months. And then in another 45 days, I added another 100,000 on. And we're, you know, this week I announced that I cracked that target of $200,000. And it was literally the first time I did it with the other location, it was like, you know, 18 months to go from zero to 100,000. And it was like another six months to go from 100 to 200,000. So, um, that momentum is all carried over. And all it took was one bit of advice from someone saying, you know, all I had to do is, do the stuff that sucked that I didn't like and, and work it out. And that that provided the, the the right spark and that motivation and growth to happen. Wow. And dude, congratulations, by the way. That's that's just really fantastic. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, you know, but you know what's funny is I that's I it was um a few weeks, I think like three months ago is when when I went up to a um, a marketing uh, retreat with, with Mike McCallowicz up in New Jersey. And that was the moment that like, I realized, cause I had been kind of questioning like the, the path that I'm on, like, am I, am I doing the right thing? And when I got there with these other business owners and we started going through the process, I was like, these are my people, this, I am doing the right thing. I, I'm on the right path. And then that's when I was convinced. I was like, I need to think about not doing the, this, this other business and ju just focusing on the music school. And then, um, and then a few weeks ago, I, I think it was one of Alex's little like Instagram posts where I was like, I have to focus. I need to do this now and, <laughs> and take action. So yeah. Yeah. Sometimes all it takes is just, you, you hear one thing from one person. Yeah. 100%. And I think it's very, very important to have that peer group of, you know, other like-minded people to connect with, to bounce ideas off of. Um, but uh, again, it just keeps coming back to that focus. When you're focused um, on the main thing, keep the main thing the main thing. It'll grow and it'll flourish. And, and again, yeah, try not to get distracted too much um, with all these other things. 
but I did want to go back uh, to something you said a little bit earlier, and you kind of alluded to it, uh, but it's written on your website as I was doing a bit of research for this podcast. You write, at age 13, I quit guitar lessons after two months of what felt like torture. And at the same time, your buddy Travis was teaching you to play these awesome Nirvana songs and you loved it. And you write that, you know, something was wrong with the picture. You hated your guitar lessons, but you loved playing guitar. So um, can you just dive into that experience? Because that's something that so many students or you know people put off guitar lessons by bad teachers or or fall out of love with the instrument because they're taught in a very different way not conducive so dive right into that for us eric yeah yeah so i i don't know if you re- let me just ask you real quick do you remember the first time you played guitar i do <laughs> you, you remember that feeling i describe it to people as it was like i got hit by a bolt of lightning and i instantly knew yeah. within five seconds that this is what i wanted to do for the rest of my life Yes, dude. It was instant. Like I I learned, I learned a couple of Nirvana riffs and I was playing them badly, but like every time I hit a note and it worked, I mean, the way it like resonated, it was like, it resonated in my soul. Like this is it. I mean, and, and yeah, it was the same thing. I knew instantly there was no question. Like, so when I hear people sometimes say like, yeah, I thought about quitting guitar, like I've, I've never, I've never even had that thought. I mean, I've had that with other things, but not with guitar. So I was so excited and my parents saw that I was excited and they're like, let's get you some lessons. And so they signed me up with, you know, it's like your typical guitar teacher. It's just some dude who's just making some side money. He's not an educator. Um, he has no training on how to educate and uh, I wanted, I wanted to, I remember I wanted to learn Eagle Eye Cherries Save Tonight. So for all you old people, you know, like me who grew up in the nineties, y'all, y'all know that, that one hit wonder. And, um, and he's like, okay, yeah, we can do that. But first I want to, I want to give you a good foundation with, here's some jazz chords. And he gave me this sheet that had like 20 jazz chords on it. He's like, I want you to start memorizing these. And I just remembered thinking, I'm like, what? but I just want to play this. I want to do this, this song. Um, and so a couple months into it, I just wasn't having a great experience with him. He ended up moving away and I did not, I didn't want to have another guitar teacher after that. So I didn't, I just was like, I'll just keep doing this on, on my own. Um, and so it wasn't until college that, uh, when I was studying classical guitar, that I had a really awesome instructor. His name was Rob Lund. Robert Lund. He's he's actually done really well for himself on Instagram and online. He has quite a following. Um, and Robert Lund is is he really inspired me to learn how to teach well. And so now when we have our students come in, I impart to my employees and and I tell the students when they come in, I'm like, look. The single most important thing is that you have a great experience with this for all of us. And we've talked about this as a team. What got us excited about playing and continuing to play was learning our favorite songs. So why wouldn't we do that for our students? Do we have curriculum? Yes. Do we have like, you need to learn these things? Yes. But there's a balance of of giving them what they need to know with what they, they want to know. And so we kind of make this deal with all of our students where we were like, if you will learn, work on this, then I promise we'll spend half the lesson on this other thing that you want to do. And now for adults, we, we, we approach it totally differently. 
because for adults, we're not trying to instill in them self-discipline. We're not trying to give them those values. You know what I mean? Those life skills that we are for the young people. So for adults, they're looking for an escape from life. They're looking for, for something to relieve stress, not something else to be stressed out. <laughs> so to give an adult and say, like, we're going to go through this curriculum, you have to have this practice and done by this state, you know, it's, that's, that's not what they're, they're here for. So um, we'll, we'll say, here's our curriculum, but what do you want to learn? And so we'll start doing a little bit of both. But every time with every adult, the curriculum goes to the wayside. And we end up just working on the stuff that they want to work on. And that's what gets them excited. Now, we don't let the kids do that entirely, but but we do do that with the adults. And so I feel very passionate about people having a great experience. Um, and I'm, I'm really happy that it's almost never somebody leaves here saying like, oh, I had a, a bad experience. It's, it's probably, I don't know, one in 500 students that are like, God, I hate that place, you know? <laughs> That's great. And uh, you mentioned before teaching discipline and life skills, particularly with the kids. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately, parents and school teachers are going to have the biggest impact on on the kids. Um, And even though we don't have them as often, we do get them for years, years and years. I mean, we I made up a Google post today um, about one of our students who's been with us for five years, his posters hanging up o- over there. And, um, it, the, these kids grow up with us. And, uh, I feel very strongly about our responsibility in making sure the next generation that comes up has discipline and creativity and self-confidence. So those are kind of the three things that we try to specifically focus on because if they have the self-discipline, they're they're going to be successful and they're going to feel better about themselves. So they're going to have that self-confidence. So those kind of go hand in hand. And then the creativity, you know, the the workplace today is is for highly successful people, as you know, it's demanding creatively. You have to be a creative person to be able to think out of the box. And so um, I, I'm excited that even though most of our students are not going to become professional musicians, um, they're going to have, we're going to be a small part in equipping them with those skills that are going to help uh, propel the, the, human, the human species. <laughs> I mean, I really think, I think on that big of a scale, like we are doing a small part to impact humanity in a positive way, I hope. 100%. And so many people think back of you know who are their favorite teachers and often it's you know the music teachers or the art teachers who allowed them to facilitate some form of creativity or self-expression and they make up the you know the fond memories and uh, something someone said to me once I can't even remember who it was or if it was from like a YouTube video but it was just think back to your favorite teacher in high school and then think back to the worst teacher in high school and then ask yourself which one do you want to be or which one do you want your students to remember you as and then keep that in mind as you are teaching your students and how are you going to impact them and be remembered by by them so uh, you know this is all tying in together with those kind of teachers who are doing it as a side gig who aren't as invested and don't have their education skills up to scratch they can be really detrimental to people and you know how many Jimi Hendrixes and Eddie Van Halen's uh, have we missed out on because uh, 
a potentially great student was put off by a bad teacher too early on in the learning process. They never pick up an instrument ever again. Or, you know, best case scenario is they try again age 45 when they're frustrated and go, oh, I always wanted to do this, but I didn't like my teacher and, and now I'm back at it. And it's been itch, an itch I've needed scratch for like 30 years. Um, and, and yeah, I think what you're doing there- I, I had that phone conversation <laughs> with a, a prospective student yesterday. And I'm, I'm sure you have that conversation with people all the time. And it's a weekly conversation to say, hey, you know, we hear this every single week. I always hear people regret the fact that they never did lessons or they never stuck with it when they were a kid. But I've never heard someone say they regret taking lessons, you know, and our lessons are the highlight of many people's weeks. Um, but I want to continue and dive back. Oh, I ended up talking too much. I'm like right on the edge of the cusp of the thought escaping me. Um, but you were mentioning in terms of uh, uh, the discipline and, and the self-confidence um, of your students. Oh man, I've really let this thought go. It's like just floating around up there somewhere. I was going to ask you that kind of thing. But um, in terms of not having too much of a set plan, in terms of working with your students towards their goals, how do you go about you know managing that and balancing uh, those expectations? Oh, that's that's what my thought was. It was expectations. So a lot of teachers, particularly those um, professional ones, uh, sorry, professional players who do a bit of teaching on the side, their expectations is that all their students will be younger versions of themselves who are going to do six hours of practice. Uh, so what are your thoughts and advice to, to teachers who do have expectations like that? And how can they change those to a bit more like what you've mentioned in terms of helping the student have fun? And you specifically said something along the lines of, yeah, not all of our students are going to be professional players. And I think that's the difference between teachers who love their job and their teachers who are endlessly frustrated is the endlessly frustrated person wants to get everyone to be that one in a hundred or one in a thousand professional player. So maybe dive into that. Yeah. So two, two things. The, the first thing is that kind of ties back in. And when you, I immediately thought of my favorite high school teacher and my least favorite high school teacher. And the difference, one of the primary differences was in expectations that my favorite teacher, man, he was fun and uh, he had a lot of energy and you, you looked forward to his class, but dude, you had to do the work. He had high expectations for you. You had to live up to them or, or there were consequences. And then um, my least favorite teacher was a person who d was not a good disciplinarian, did not have high expectations and kind of let you, you know, skate by. And I didn't realize it at the time, but those were the primary differences. So... It's, it's almost this duality of we want to set high expectations for our students, but we also, while they're with us, but we also have to manage our expectations of uh, our, our students are not, they're not us. They're, they're not Michael Gumley. They're not Eric Barassa. This is not their life. It's part of their life. Um, and for their parents, it's it's they're they're more concerned with having well-rounded kids that are exposed to lots of different things and get to find what they're passionate about. And this is just one of the things that they're trying. Um, and so when I, I I get frustrated when I see teachers because it was not that long ago I saw someone post in one of the groups saying I'm I'm burned out and I'm frustrated because none of my students are taking this seriously and they're not practicing and I don't know what to do and I'm like this is <laughs> you you have you have to understand that um it, most people are not going to live up to your standard it doesn't mean you change your standard you know what I mean like you say I expect that you are going to practice this much per week and then each week when they come in, if they didn't, you say, okay, you didn't meet my expectation, 
But we are going to continue to work towards that bar regardless. Um, and so if you, I mean, it, to me, it'd be like, it'd be like being a doctor and having the expectation that nobody's going to die. It's like, dude, you would get burned out so fast. Doctor, great doctors accept the reality that many of their patients are going to die. And so for, for us, our music students, we have to accept the reality that um, the vast majority of them are not going to become professional players. But I will say this, 100% of the time, and I'm sure you've experienced this, the students that stick with us, even the ones that are not practicing very well, those first couple of years are, are rough. And I tell the parents, I'm like, the first couple of years, you, you're not going to see a whole lot of growth, but they are going to have fun. They are going to have a good time and have a good experience with us. I'm like, but I promise you, if they stick with us three, four, five, six years, um, it, it's probably about like that five-year mark where it's like, oh, oh, they're, they're really good. They're like a really good musician now. So I don't know. Have you, have you had a, a similar experience? Oh, yes. I, I always say to parents, because um, a lot of the time they're like, oh, he, he's not really doing this. He's not really doing that. And I'm like, does he play football? Uh, and they'll go, yeah. Go, How many goals do you kick on the weekend? None. I'm like, well, are you going to take him out of the sports lesson? And they'll be like, <laughs> no. I'm like, well, yeah. You know, if you want to be an AFL level football player, you need to start at age eight or 10 or 12 and then play for a couple of years. And then, you know, a lot of people until they hit that 15, 16 year old stage and they grow into their body, you know, they don't even know their full potential. You know, like who they are in their under tens is completely different to who they are. You know, their body changes, their size changes, their interest level changes. Uh, and, and, but there's this, especially in Australia, because Australia is a very sport heavy culture, is that, you know, you do sports up until you're 18 or even beyond without question. But music lessons, oh, it's it's been eight months and he's not sounding like the record, of which case, you know, that's the product of 10 years of someone else's hard work before it gets heard. <laughs> and then the producer cuts it up and, you know, puts the studio magic on it as well. Um, so, yeah, again, if you've got people to stick with it and I explain, um, you know, something called the dip, um, I think it's a Seth Godin concept, but you kind of draw like a... Um, you know, a trajectory where it goes up, it dips a little bit and it goes up again. And you say, yeah, there's going to be this really big momentum where they're excited. Then they'll realize it's a bit of hard work, their motivation will drop. And, but eventually it goes back up. You just need to stick with it long enough to hit that upward trajectory. The problem is too many people cut at that first part of the dip right before it shoots back up. And um, that's, you know, a concept which is really, really helpful. But, you know, you just have a, an arsenal of different analogies and, and different things you can use to logically tell the parents that, hey, you know, again, it's about fun. It's about nurturing it. And realistically, Jimi Hendrix started playing at the age of 15 and didn't release his first album until 25. At uh, which case he had three years of being the world's greatest guitar player before he, you know, left us prematurely as well. And uh, Angus Young, ACDC, he started playing the age of six, didn't release a, a record or the first ACDC album until age 18. So all of these guitar heroes still have their own tenure of hard work stories before you heard about them. And yeah, there's going to be a couple of rare exceptions from that. Um, I'm sure people have seen me uh, show off a couple of gun students I have, but again, they're the guys that practice for three or four hours a day. And to go back to your expectations, there's, there's two points worth making. Um, one of them is, again, when I was most unhappy or when I was most frustrated, it was because I was trying to hold on to every single client that I had thinking that, well, I wouldn't trade guitar lessons. And you know, at one point I had an arm operation. I couldn't actually play for about two and a half years. 
but I was just dead set on recovery and getting back to it. It was like never a doubt in my mind that I would get back to guitar playing. It was just, what do I have to do to recover so I can get back to it? But again, guitar is just one component of your students' lives. And if you ranked all their priorities of things they actively do, guitar would be lucky to be in the top 10. For us, it's probably, you know, in the top three. <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But for most of our students, it's not even in the top 10. So for you to try and think that they're going to put two or three hours worth of practice in a day for something which has got to come before everything else, after everything else, sorry, is just completely unrealistic. And just to realize that, yeah, um, most of your students are going to quit at some point. And of the ones that stay with you, most of them aren't going to be doing this at a professional level. You just got to come to terms with the fact that they're going to be here for a certain amount of time. No one's going to be with you forever. And that why don't you just try and give them the most positive, enjoyable experience uh, while they're with you. And when that time is up, you want them to leave on good terms rather than, uh, you know, some previous bad advice where it was try to retain the customer no matter what to the point where you seem like this insane person trying to manipulate them and guilt trip them into staying because you would never quit. But again, you're putting, you're trying to measure them by your standards. Yeah. And that, see, and that was one bit of, of bad advice we received from our first mentor, which is fight to hang on to those clients. Like we, we don't do that at my music school anymore which is, you know, when some, when we get that email or that phone call or someone says, Hey, I'm, I'm taking a break from lessons. I'm quitting lessons. We say, okay, that's it. That's it. There is no trying to argue with them or convince them. And it was, I hated, I hated taking that manipulative approach, but before, you know, you just, you, you accept and, and you, you hope that you gave them a great experience along the way and, and the process, you know, it's, um, we, we want to teach them to enjoy the process. And that's what I tell students and parents. I say, you have to enjoy the process because the results aren't always going to be immediate. So you, you have, and isn't that a lesson for us as business owners? We have to just enjoy the process of, of being business owners because it's never going to be done. And I think that was one of the mistakes I made early on was thinking I would eventually get my business to this level and then it would run by itself and I was done. I wouldn't have to do anything else. It's like, that's not how successful people run, run businesses. It's never on autopilot. It's a never ending process. And that took me a long time to, to get through, through my, my head. And um, so trying to get students to enjoy the process and for us as teachers enjoying the process, I, I have students tell me like when we work, well, Ode to Joy is still the first song we always do. And, um, and as they're learning it, They'll, you know, and we'll, we'll teach them fun riffs and stuff, but that's like the first thing in our curriculum. And, uh, they'll be like, God, you must just hate having to sit and listen to people play this over and over and over again. And I'll be like, no, I never get tired of this process. Here's why. And I'll point to one of the posters on our wall. We have posters of a bunch of our students lining our walls. And these are students that have been with us for years. And I said, because I remember when they couldn't do anything. And now look at them. And it, it's, it's cool. It's cool to see. I promise I won't take screenshots of this and share them on social media, but it, it's amazing <laughs> to hear that emotion in your voice. Cause again, they're not necessarily your kids, but you're still taking a, a parental role and a, a um, influential role in watching them grow up. And that whole, you know, it takes a village to raise a child and uh, us as music teachers, 
you know, where we're one of the key roles and, and responsibilities of taking the next generation on. But you know, again, I can see why it's such an inspiring place, and you've got so many great students and such a great community around your school. Because you know, you obviously Dude, we care. really do. We really, <laughs> I, I tell I tell our, our these these families all the time. I'm like, we have the best families that come to my music school, and I don't I don't know what we're doing, how we're able to. We very rarely attract duds. We just have great people that are here, and I'm I'm really grateful for that. Um, I, real quick, I'll just share. You know, speaking of enjoying the process, just because I know what comes of the, the results long term, I had a guy who applied to teach with us once, and he said, "I only want to teach advanced students," and I'm like, "Dude, you can't skip. You can't skip if you want if you want to have advanced players. You got to grow them. You got to grow them from the ground up, and." And you're cheating yourself. If all you teach are advanced students, you don't get the joy of seeing that growth from day one. There is no better feeling than when, when you're able to, to document and witness that whole process from can barely play a single note to being on stage shredding for everybody. Yeah. And that's a really, really good point. And my partner, Amy pointed this out to me. She goes, um, you know, we, we have the benefit of, of attracting quite a number of high quality students who can already play quite well um, just through the way that we market and the fact that as I put out more and more videos of our really advanced like shred kids doing amazing things, parents of similar students or parents who are a bit more serious about the results go, okay, this is the place that I need to put them. So we do have quite a, a good influx of those kind of students. But they're not the ones which are the true victories because at the end of the day, it wouldn't matter who taught them the student was destined for success and it's like the, the same kind of people like universities uh already attract high quality students and then make them better through their systems and processes like you know Harvard, the reason harvard has such a great reputation is because the best people in the world want to go there and then they just cherry pick the cream of the crop and, and make them even better so the true victories are taking the people who didn't enjoy it in the beginning or who really really struggled or came in really really frustrated and had their own self doubts and and you were able to turn that around and make them into really great confident players who whether they're professionals or whether their definition of success is uh, having a record deal or playing a live gig or just sitting around the campfire with friends or even just sitting in their bedroom playing along with their favorite songs. It's just being able to help them achieve whatever their definition of success is and take someone from zero to whatever that level is, as opposed to someone who comes in already a great player. And, you know, sometimes they're some of the funnest teach, uh, students to teach and some of the, the easiest people to teach. But at the end of the day, I can't take credit for all their work. I can take credit for steering them in the right direction and putting them in a faster vehicle to get there. And yeah, sure, I, I can make shredders better than most teachers. I can produce professional players better than most teachers, but I get them from zero to 75 and then they can go off you know, to a university or somewhere really, really confidently. And another benefit is I know a lot of the teachers uh, at these local universities. So they know when I write a little letter saying, hey, um, little Jeremy's been with me for the last five years. Um, make sure you give them a good look in here. You know, that, they're the kind of favors that we can pull and it, it's all growing and developing. But yeah, it, it all comes down to those expectations and, and kind of like what you said is the true victories is taking someone and helping them grow up and watching them transform rather than just cherry picking an advanced player and then, you know, making them better. Yeah, which of course, it, it's always fun when you get an advanced player and you get to do all the crazy things with them. But yeah, yeah, witnessing 
witnessing that transformation is is that's one of the things that helps me enjoy every step of the process yeah uh, and i guess the more people you teach the more you start to you know see different patterns and different behaviors and sometimes someone comes in and uh, you know they'll go oh man like this kid's just got natural talent or he's just got this and you go no well you know he started at zero the same time as this person but he did this this and this and this person did this this and that and that's why you know they went on two very different paths but that's not to say this person is more valuable or, or better in any way it just means they chose to make guitar a higher priority and put more um effort into it and they have the results of that and that you know ties all the way back to what you were saying with your daughter and hey if you want to be this professional um pardon me, this professional gymnast, this is the kind of stuff that we want to do straight away. And all of the parents that have come in and said, hey, I'm serious about this. I want my my son to be really good at this. And, you know, we obviously paying top dollar for it. So these are what we expect. I say, awesome. Well, if you do this, this and this, we can get you there. If you only want to get to here or you commit this much, that's totally fine. But your results are going to be this. And this is probably a second point I was going to make a bit earlier was when the students come in and they say, hey, I want this, this or this, I will give them a couple of different options. I'll say, okay, well, if you want to get there really, really quickly and guarantee it, here's program A. If you're a bit more casual in your approach, but you still want great results, here's program B. And if this is more of a hobby for you, you know, these are the fast lane and this is the scenic route. If you're just here to have fun and have a great time, you know, go with this program. There's zero expectations from us, but you just need to have a think about with yourself about, you know, what are you willing to put in and what are, you, what are your expectations for this and which is the best one of the vehicles, which is the best path for you to take. And by putting that back on the student, they're a lot happier and um, we are allowed to, we can put the right expectations on them and not be you know judging someone in the hobby program by the elite standard because that's just the recipe for failure and vice versa so that's a you know a really cool thing that we do is let the students tell us what their expectations are and then facilitate the best program to get them there i love that i love that they get to kind of decide what what path they want to take how serious they want to be and then from there that's where you guys say okay now the expectation is set let's go yeah, fantastic. Well, Eric, we are coming towards the end of this podcast here. I feel like we could talk for another couple of hours, uh, but we will have to I wrap feel like this we're one just up getting soon. started. I oh, know, me too. I think we'll have to go to a new like Joe Rogan long format kind of, uh, you know, two hour, three hour podcast and things like that. Now, I had a whole bunch of questions to ask Eric. So the good news about this, the, the sad news is we're probably going to wrap this one up soon. The good news is because I only asked him about three of the questions, we just kept on diving into all these wonderful topics here is that's probably a really good reason to have Eric back in a couple of <laughs> a couple of months uh, time and for, for round number two. What do you say to that, Eric? I, I think that sounds great. Yeah, most definitely. Well, um, Eric, in the spirit of wrapping things up, if you had one final bit of wisdom to impart with uh, our listeners here, whether they're music teachers or guitar players, what would that be? Go with your gut. Follow your gut. You know what you need and you know what's best for you. And if someone is telling you to do something contrary to that, most of the time, if someone is just challenging you and you're like, that's going to be hard, that's different. But if someone is saying something to you and it goes against what you know in your core, you should be doing, go with the thing in your core. That's some amazing advice there. And Eric, um, where can we find you? And we may have just throw this one in. I know you've recently launched a YouTube channel. So uh, maybe just tell us a bit about what got you into YouTube and uh, where we can find out a bit more from you in terms of your school, in terms of social media, and of course, this new YouTube channel you've got. 
Yeah, so real quick, the, the easiest way to find me is ericbarassa.com, B-O-U-R-A-S-S-A, uh, because that is sort of a hub that has links to my music school, Fort Worth Music Academy in Fort Worth, Texas, United States. Um, it's got a link to my YouTube channel, and it's also got links to my my music. Um, so that that's the easiest way. Uh, but the YouTube thing is, they talk about just enjoying the process. That's something that <laughs> you don't really see the fruits of that labor for a very long time. And, uh, and so I, I started that getting serious about it a couple years ago. Um, and so I try to do at least a couple videos a week. And I've, I've really just enjoyed it. I, it keeps me motivated. It keeps me excited. And it's, it's fun that it's starting to now bear fruit. We just got someone who lives the next town over that found one of my Joe Satriani videos. And he contacted us and he was like, hey, I found you on YouTube. And I can't believe you live right here. I want to come take lessons. And I was like, oh, that was the first time that that happened. And so that was huge. And then somebody else found another one of my videos. And he was like, hey, thanks for that video. I own an organic chocolate company. I want to send you some chocolate. And dude, it's so good, the stuff he sent us. And I was just like, okay, this is, it, it, it's, it's starting to just now get the momentum going. And I just have kind of the faith that if I just continue doing that in conjunction with the business, I see that as part of this, this business that that's going to pay off. So that's, boy, you, you talk about just needing to have the self-discipline to keep going without seeing results. Man, start a YouTube channel. <laughs> Most definitely. Well, Eric, we can hopefully send a few of our listeners your way. So go look up uh, www.ericbarassa.com and get that link to YouTube. Go like and subscribe, watch some videos. He's got some great stuff on there uh, and really has his finger on the pulse. Often like I'll, I'll hear a Joe Satriani song uh, like gets announced as coming out that day and, and then like 24 hours later, there's a tutorial on how to play it, bits and pieces like that. So, <laughs> Dude, it's... It's so exciting, but it's so stressful because the, it'll drop and I'll be like, okay, I got to cancel everything else. This is what I'm doing today. And, uh, and time is of the essence when it comes, when it comes to uh, songs like that. Because if you're, as you know, in business, if you're, if you're first, that, uh, that carries a lot of weight. And if you're not first, you're last. <laughs> That's one of my right. favorite quotes. <laughs> All right. Well, Eric, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you so much for coming on the Top Music Guitar podcast. Uh, and we'll look forward to definitely teeing up another episode a bit further down the track because I feel like we just you know got to the tip of the iceberg today and we could literally talk about anything for any amount of time. But thanks once again for coming on. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode. Have a good one, guys. If you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.